two, valley, and, so far as is known, it was an original nation producing an original art, its sculpture especially in the tallow heads, and presumably its painting, were more realistic and individual than any other in the valley, Assyria coming later, and the heir of Chaldea, was the second empire, there are two distinct periods of the second empire, the first lasting from 1.400 BC down to about 900 BC and in art showing a great profusion of BA's reliefs. The second closed about 625 BC and in art produced much glazed tile work and a more elaborate sculpture and painting. After this the Chaldean provinces gained the ascendancy again, and Babylon, under Nebuchadnezzar, became the first city of Asia. But the new Babylon did not last long. It fell before Cyrus and the Persians 536 BC again, as in Egypt. The earliest art appears the purest and the simplest, and the years of Chaldeo-Assyrian history known to us carry a record of change rather than of progress in art. Art remains, the most valuable collections of Chaldeo-Assyrian art are to be found in the Louvre and the British Museum. The other large museums of Europe have collections in this department but all of them combined are little compared with the treasures that still lie buried in the mounds of the Tigris-Euphrates Valley. Excavations have been made at Moyer, Warka, Kursadad, Kuunjik, and elsewhere, but many difficulties had thus far rendered systematic work impossible. The complete history of Chaldeo-Assyria and its art has yet to be written. Persian painting, books recommended, as before cited, Babylon, Dunker, Lenormand, Eli, Diulafoi, Lord Antique de Lopers, Flanding at cost. Voyage and purse, justy. Jeskitch de desultin persines, perrot and chippies. History of art in Persia. History and art motives. The Medes and Persians were the natural inheritors of Assyrian civilization. But they did not improve their birthright. The Medes soon lost their power. Cyrus conquered them. And established the powerful Persian monarchy upheld for 200 years by Cambyses, Darius, and Xerxes. Substantially the same conditions surrounded the Persians as the Assyrians that island so far as art production was concerned. Their conceptions of life were similar, and their use of art was for historic illustration of kinly doings and ornamental embellishment of kinly palaces. Both sculpture and painting were accessories of architecture. Of Median art nothing remains. The Persians left the record, but it was not wholly of their own invention, nor was it very extensive or brilliant. It had little originality about it and was really only an echo of Assyria. The sculptors and painters copied their Assyrian predecessors, repeating at Perspolis what had been better told at Nineveh. Types and T-A-C-H-N-I-C, the same subjects, types, and technical methods in B.A.'s relief. Tile, and painting on plaster were followed under Darius as under Shalmaneser, but the imitation was not so good as the original. The warrior, the winged monsters, the animals all lost something of their air of brutal defiance and their strength of modeling. Heroes still walked in procession along the BA's reliefs and glazed tiles, but the figure was smaller, more effeminate. The hair and beard were not so long. The drapery fell in slightly indicated folds at times, and there was a profusion of ornamental detail. Some of this detail and some modifications in the figure showed the influence of foreign nations other than the Greek, but, in the main, Persian art followed in the footsteps of Assyrian art. It was the last reflection of Mesopotamian splendor. For with the conquest of Persia by Alexander the book of expressive art in that valley was closed. And, under Islam, it remains closed to this day. Art remains, Persian painting is something about which little is known because little remains. The Louvre contains some reconstructed friezes made in mosaics of stamped brick and square tile. 
showing figures of lions and a number of archers. The coloring is particularly rich, and may give some idea of Persian pigments. Aside from the chief museums of Europe the bulk of Persian art is still seen half buried in the ruins of Perspolis and elsewhere. Phoenician, see White Pariodi, and Asia Minor Painting. Books recommended, as before cited, Babylon, Dunker, Ellie, Girard, Lenormand, says Nola, Cyprus, says Nola, Cypriot Antiquities in Metropolitan Museum of Art, Cumruk, Phoenicia, Movers, Diphonizir, Perot and Chippies. History of Art in Phoenicia and Cyprus, Perot and Chippies. History of Art in Sardinia, Judea, Syria and Asia Minor, Perot and Chippies. History of Art in Phrygia, Lydia, etc., Renan, Mission to Phoenicy. The trading nations, the coast-lying nations of the eastern Mediterranean were hardly original or creative nations in a large sense. They were at different times the conquered dependencies of Egypt, Assyria, Persia, Greece and their lands were but bridges over which armies passed from east to west or from west to east. Located on the Mediterranean between the great civilizations of antiquity they naturally adapted themselves to circumstances, and became the middlemen, the brokers, traders, and carriers of the ancient world. Their lands were not favorable to agriculture, but their sea coasts rendered commerce easy and lucrative. They made a kingdom of the sea, and their means of livelihood were gathered from it. There is no record that the Egyptians ever traversed the Mediterranean. The Assyrians were not sailors. The Greeks had not yet arisen. And so probably Phoenicia and her neighbors had matters their own way. Colonies and trading stations were established at Cyprus, Carthage, Sardinia, the Greek islands, and the Greek mainland. And not only eastern goods but eastern ideas were thus carried to the west. Politically, socially, and religiously these small middle nations were inconsequential. They simply adapted their politics or faith to the nation that for the time had them under its heel. What semi-original religion they possessed was an amalgamation of the religions of other nations, and their gods of bronze, terracotta, and enamel were irreverently sold in the market like any other produce. Art motives and methods, building, carving, and painting were practiced among the coastwise nations, but upon no such extensive scale as in either Egypt or Assyria. The mere fact that they were people of the sea rather than of the land precluded extensive or concentrated development. Politically Phoenicia was divided among five cities, and her artistic strength was distributed in a similar manner. Such art as was produced showed the religious and decorative motives, and in its spiritless materialistic makeup, the commercial motive, it was at the best a hybrid, mongrel art, borrowed from many sources and distributed to many points of the compass. At one time it had a strong Assyrian caste that another an Egyptian caste, and after Greece arose it accepted a retroactive influence from there. It is impossible to characterize the Phoenician type, and even the Cypriot type, though more pronounced, varies so with the different influences that it has no very striking individuality. Technically both the Phoenician and Cypriot were fair workmen in bronze and stone, and doubtless taught many technical methods to the early Greeks. Besides making known to them those deities afterward adopted under the names of Aphrodite, Adonis, and Heracles, and familiarizing them with the art forms of Egypt and Assyria. As for painting, there was undoubtedly figured decoration upon walls of stone and plaster, but there is not enough left to us from all the small nations like Phoenicia, Judea, Cyprus, and the kingdoms of Asia Minor, put together, to patch up a disjointed history, the first lands to meet the spoiler. Their very ruins have perished. All that there is of painting comes to us in broken potteries and color traces on statuary. 
the remains of sculpture and architecture are of course better preserved. None of this intermediate art holds much rank by virtue of its inherent worth. It is its influence upon the West the ideas, subjects, and methods it imparted to the Greeks that gives it importance in art history. Art remains, in painting chiefly the vases in the Metropolitan Museum, New York, the Louvre, British and Berlin Museums. These give a poor and incomplete idea of the painting in Asia Minor, Phoenicia and her colonies, the terracottas, figurines in bronze, and sculptures can be studied to more advantage. The best collection of Cypriot antiquities is in the Metropolitan Museum, New York. A new collection of Judaic art has been recently opened in the Louvre. Chapter III. Greek painting. Books recommended. Baumeister. Denkmaler des Klassischen Altertums article. Mallory I. Birch. History of Ancient Pottery, Brunn, Jeskichte der Griechischen Künstler, Kollegnon, Mythologie Figuri de la Grèce, Kollegnon, Manuel Geologie Grec, Crozet Henry, Lencostic and Els Otters proceeds to Painter Shales Ancients, Girard, La Painter Antique, Murray, Handbook of Greek Archaeology, Overbeck, Antikenschrift Quellen zur Jeskichte der Bildenden Kunst by den Griechischen, Perot and Chippies, History of Art in Greece, Wellerman, Die Landschaft in der Kunst der Antiken Volker, see also books on Etruscan and Roman painting. Greece and the Greeks, the origin of the Greek race is not positively known. It is reasonably supposed that the early settlers in Greece came from the region of Asia Minor, either across the Hellespont or the sea, and populated the Greek islands and the mainland. When this was done has been matter of much conjecture. The early history is lost. But art remains show that in the period before Homer the Greeks were an established race with habits and customs distinctly individual. Egyptian and Asiatic influences are apparent in their art at this early time. But their island nevertheless, the mark of a race peculiarly apart from all the races of the older world, the development of the Greek people was probably helped by favorable climate and soil, by commerce and conquest, by republican institutions and political faith, by freedom of mind and of body but all these together are not sufficient to account for the keenness of intellect, the purity of taste, and the skill in accomplishment which showed in every branch of Greek life. The cause lies deeper in the fundamental makeup of the Greek mind, and its eternal aspiration toward mental, moral, and physical ideals. Perfect mind, perfect body, perfect conduct in this world were sought for ideals. The Greeks aspired to completeness. The course of education and race development trained them physically as athletes and warriors, mentally as philosophers, lawmakers, poets, artists, morally as heroes whose lives and actions emulated those of the gods, and were almost perfect for this world. Art motives, neither the monarchy nor the priesthood commanded the services of the artist in Greece, as in Assyria and Egypt. There was no monarch in an oriental sense, and the chosen leaders of the Greeks never, until the late days arrogated art to themselves. It was something for all the people. In religion there was a pantheon of gods established and worshipped from the earliest ages, but these gods were more like epitomes of Greek ideals than spiritual beings. They were the personified virtues of the Greeks, exemplars of perfect living, and in worshipping them the Greek was really worshipping order, conduct, repose, dignity, perfect life. The gods and heroes, as types of moral and physical qualities, were continually represented in an allegorical or legendary manner. Athene represented noble warfare. Zeus was majestic dignity and power. Aphrodite love. Phoebus song. Nike triumph. And all the lesser gods, nymphs, and fawns stood for beauties of nature or of life. 
the great bulk of Greek architecture, sculpture, and painting was put forth to honor these gods or heroes, and by so doing the artist repeated the national ideals and honored himself. The first motive of Greek art, then, was to praise Hellas and the Hellenic view of life. In part it was a religious motive, but with little of that spiritual significance and belief which ruled in Egypt, and later on in Italy. A second and ever-present motive in Greek painting was decoration. This appears in the tomb pottery of the earliest ages, and was carried on down to the latest times. Vase painting, wall painting, tablet and sculpture painting were all done with a decorative motive in view. Even the easel or panel pictures had some decorative effect about them, though they were primarily intended to convey ideas other than those of form and color, subjects and methods, the gods and heroes, their lives and adventures formed the early subjects of Greek painting. Certain themes taken from the Iliad and the Odyssey were as frequently shown as, afterward, the Annunciations in Italian painting, the traditional subjects, the Centaurs and Lapiths, the Amazon War, Theseus and Ariadne, Perseus and Andromeda, were frequently depicted. Humanity and actual Greek life came in for its share. Single figures, still life, genre, caricature, all were shown. And as painting neared the Alexandrian age a semi-realistic portraiture came into vogue. The materials employed by the Greeks and their methods of work are somewhat difficult to ascertain, because there are few Greek pictures, except those on the vases, left to us. From the confusing accounts of the ancient writers, the vases, some Greek slabs in Italy, and the Roman paintings imitative of the Greek, we may gain a general idea. The early Greek work was largely devoted to pottery and tomb decoration in which much in manner and method was borrowed from Asia, Phoenicia, and Egypt. Later on, painting appeared in flat outline on stone or terracotta slabs, sometimes representing processional scenes, as in Egypt, and doubtless done in a hybrid fresco work similar to the Egyptian method. Wall paintings were done in fresco and distemper, probably upon the walls themselves, and also upon panels afterward let into the wall. In caustic painting color mixed with wax upon the panel and fused with a hot spatula came in with the Sikionian school. It is possible that the oil medium and canvas were known, but not probable that either was ever used extensively. There is no doubt about the Greeks being expert draftsmen, though this does not appear until late in history. They knew the outlines well, and drew them with force and grace. That they modeled in strong relief is more questionable. Light and shade was certainly employed in the figure but not in any modern way. Perspective in both figures and landscape was used, but the landscape was at first symbolic and rarely got beyond a decorative background for the figure. Greek composition we know little about, but may infer that it was largely a series of balances, a symmetrical adjustment of objects to fill a given space with not very much freedom allowed to the artist, in atmosphere, sunlight, color, and those peculiarly sensuous charms that belong to painting. There is no reason to believe that the Greeks approached the moderns. Their interest was chiefly centered in the human figure. Landscape, with its many beauties, was reserved for modern hands to disclose. Color was used in abundance, without doubt, but it was probably limited to the leading hues, with little of that refinement or delicacy known in painting today. Art history, for the history of Greek painting we have to rely upon the words of Aristotle, Plutarch, Pliny, Quintilian, Lucian. Cicero, Pausanias, their accounts appear to be partly substantiated by the base paintings, and such few slabs and Roman frescoes as remain to us. There is no consecutive narrative.
the story of painting originating from a girl seeing the wall silhouette of her lover and filling it in with color, and the conjecture of painting having developed from embroidery work, had neither of them a foundation in fact. The earliest settlers of Greece probably learned painting from the Phoenicians, and employed it, after the Egyptian, Assyrian, and Phoenician manner, on pottery, terracotta slabs, and rude sculpture. It developed slower than sculpture perhaps, but were there anything of importance left to judge from, we should probably find that it developed in much the same manner as sculpture. Down to 500 BC there was little more than outline filled in with flat monochromatic paint and with a decorative effect similar, perhaps, to that of the vase paintings. After that date come the more important names of artists mentioned by the ancient writers. It is difficult to assign these artists to certain periods or schools owing to the insufficient knowledge we had about them. The following classifications and assignments may, therefore, in some instances, be questioned. Older Etic School, the first painter of rank was Polynotus Fluid 475-455 BC sometimes called the founder of Greek painting, because perhaps he was one of the first important painters in Greece proper. He seems to have been a good outline draftsman, producing figures in profile, with little attempt at relief. Perspective or light and shade, his colors were local tones, but probably more like nature and more varied than anything in Egyptian painting, landscapes, buildings, and the like, were given in a symbolic manner, portraiture was a generalization, and in figure compositions the names of the principal characters were written near them for purposes of identification, the most important works of Polynotus were the wall paintings for the assembly room of the Nidians at Delphi. The subjects related to the Trojan War and the adventures of Ulysses, opposed to this flat, and relieved style was the work of a follower, Agatharchos of Samos Fluid end of 5th century BC. He was a scene painter, and by the necessities of his craft was led toward nature. Stage effect required a study of perspective, variation of light, and a knowledge of the laws of optics. The slight outline drawing of his predecessor was probably superseded by effective masses to create illusion. This was a distinct advance toward nature. Apollodorus fluid end of 5th century BC applied the principles of Agatharchos to figures. According to Plutarch, he was the first to discover variation in the shade of colors, and, according to Pliny, the first master to paint objects as they appeared in nature. He had the title of Skyagrifos shadow painter, and possibly gave a semi-natural background with perspective. This was an improvement, but not a perfection. It is not likely that the backgrounds were other than conventional settings for the figure. Even these were not at once accepted by the painters of the period, but were turned to profit in the hands of the followers. After the Peloponnesian Wars the art of painting seems to have flourished elsewhere than in Athens, owing to the Athenian loss of supremacy. Other schools sprang up in various districts, and one to call for considerable mention by the ancient writers was the Ioannian school, which in reality had existed from the 6th century. The painters of this school advanced upon the work of Apollodorus as regards realistic effect. Zeuxis, whose fame was at its height during the Peloponnesian Wars, seems to have regarded art as a matter of illusion. If one may judge by the stories told of his work, the tale of his painting a bunch of grapes so like reality that the birds came to peck at them proves either that the painter's motive was deception, or that the narrator of the tale picked out the deceptive part of his picture for admiration. He painted many subjects like Helen, Penelope, and many genre pieces on panel. Quintilian says he originated light and shade, an achievement credited by Plutarch to Apollodorus. It is probable that he advanced light and shade, 
in illusion he seems to have been outdone by a rival, Parasios of Ephesus. Xuxes deceived the birds with painted grapes, but Parasios deceived Xuxes with a painted curtain. There must have been knowledge of color, modeling, and relief to have produced such an illusion, but the aim was petty and unworthy of the skill. There was evidently an advance technically, but some decline in the true spirit of art. Parasios finally suffered defeat at the hands of Timanthes of Cuthnos, by a contest between Ajax and Ulysses for the arms of Achilles. Timanthes's famous work was the sacrifice of Iphigenia, of which there is a supposed Pompeian copy. Isikawiolanian school, this school seems to have sprung up after the Peloponnesian Wars, and was perhaps founded by Eupompos, a contemporary of Parasios. His pupil Pamphilos brought the school to maturity. He apparently reacted from the deception motive of Xuxes and Parasios, and taught academic methods of drawing, composing, and painting. He was also credited with bringing into use the encaustic method of painting, though it was probably known before his time. His pupil, Pauges, possessed some freedom of creation in genre and still life subjects. Pliny says he had great technical skill, as shown in the foreshortening of a black ox by variations of the black tones, and he obtained some fame by a figure of mathe intoxication drinking from a glass, the face being seen through the glass. Again the motives seem trifling. But again advancing technical power is shown. T.H.E.B.A. in Etic School, this was the fourth school of Greek painting. Neat Kamishu's fluid about 360 B.C. A facile painter, was at its head. His pupil, Aristides, painted pathetic scenes, and was perhaps as remarkable for teaching art to the celebrated Euphraner fluid 360 B.C. as for his own productions. Euphraner had great versatility in the arts and in painting was renowned for his pictures of the Olympian gods at Athens. His successor, Nikias Fluid 340-300 BC was a contemporary of Praxiteles, the sculptor, and was possibly influenced by him in the painting of female figures. He was a technician of ability in composition, light and shade, and relief, and was praised for the roundness of his figures. He also did some tinting of sculpture, and is said to have tinted some of the works of Praxiteles. Late painters, contemporary with and following these last-named artists were some celebrated painters who really belonged to the beginning of the Hellenistic period 323 BC. At their head was Apelles, the painter of Philip and Alexander, and the climax of Greek painting. He painted many gods, heroes, and allegories, with much gracefulness, as Pliny puts it. The Italian Botticelli, 1700 years after him, tried to reproduce his celebrated calumny from Lucian's description of it, his chief works were his Aphrodite on Adiomene, carried to Rome by Augustus, and the portrait of Alexander with the thunderbolt, he was undoubtedly a superior man technically, Protogenes rivaled him, if we are to believe Petronius, by the foam on a dog's mouth and the wonder in the eye of a startled pheasant, Etion, the painter of Alexander's marriage to Roxana, was not able to turn the aim of painting from this deceptive illusion, after Alexander, Painting passed still further into the imitative and the theatrical, and when not grandiloquent was infinitely little over cobbler shops and hexter stalls, landscape for purposes of decorative composition, and floor painting, done in mosaic, came in during the time of the Diadochi. There were no great names in the latter days, and such painters as still flourished passed on to Rome, there to produce copies of the works of their predecessors. It is hard to reconcile the unworthy motive attributed to Greek painting by the ancient writers with the high aim of Greek sculpture. 
it is easier to think and it is more probable that the writers knew very little about art, and that they missed the spirit of Greek painting in admiring its insignificant details. That painting technically was at a high point of perfection as regards the figure, even the imitative Roman works indicate, and it can hardly be doubted that in spirit it was at one time equally strong. Extant remains, there are few wall or panel pictures of Greek times in existence. Four slabs of stone in the Naples Museum, with red outline drawings of Theseus, Silenus, and some figures with masks, are probably Greek work from which the color has scaled. A number of Roman copies of Greek frescoes and mosaics are in the Vatican, Capitolium, and Naples museums. All these pieces show an imitation of late Hellenistic art not the best period of Greek development. The basis, the history of Greek painting in its remains is traced with some accuracy in the decorative figures upon the vases. The first wire dating before the 7th century BC seems free from Oriental influences in its designs. The vase is reddish. The decoration is in tears, bands, or zigzags, usually in black or brown, without the human figure. The second kind of wear dates from about the middle of the 7th century. It shows meander, wave, and other designs, and is called the geometrical style. Later on animals, rosettes, and vegetation appear that show Assyrian influence. The decoration is profuse and the rude human figure subordinate to it. The design is in black or dark brown, on a cream-colored slip. The third kind of wear is the archaic or strong style. It dates from 500 BC to the Peloponnesian Wars, and is marked by black figures upon a yellow or red ground. White and purple are also used to define flesh, hair, and white objects. The figure is stiff, the action awkward, the composition is freer than before, but still conventional. The subjects are the gods, demigods, and heroes in scenes from their lives and adventures. The fourth kind of wear dates down into the Hellenistic age and shows red figures surrounded by a black ground. The figure, the drawing, the composition are better than at any other period and suggest a high excellence in other forms of Greek painting. After Alexander, vase painting seems to have shared the fate of wall and panel painting. There was a striving for effect, with ornateness and extravagance, and finally the art passed out entirely. There was an establishment founded in southern Italy which imitated the Greek and produced the Apulian ware, but the Romans gave little encouragement to vase painting, and about 65 BC it disappeared. Almost all the museums of the world have collections of Greek vases. The British, Berlin, and Paris collections are perhaps as complete as any. The RUSCAN and Roman painting. Books recommended, see Bibliography of Greek painting and also Denny's. Cities and Cemeteries of Etruria, Graul, Die Portrait Maldos den Grabstaten des Fium, Elbeg, Die Wange Malda Companions, Elbeg, Entersuchung and Uber Die Companieski One Mallory, Mau, Jeskich de Deer Decorative and One Mallory in Pompeii, Martha, Alcello de Etrusque et Romaine, EDRUSCA in Painting, Painting in Etruria has not a great deal of interest for us just here. It was largely decorative and sepulchral in motive and was employed in the painting of tombs, and upon vases and other objects placed in the tombs. It had a native way of expressing itself, which at first was neither Greek nor Oriental, and yet a reminder of both. Technically it was not well done. Before 500 BC it was almost childish in the drawing. After that date the figures were better, though short and squat. Those on the vases usually show outline drawing filled in with dull browns and yellows. Finally there was a mingling of Etruscan with Greek elements, and an imitation of Greek methods, it was at best a hybrid art, 
but of some importance from an archaeological point of view. Roman painting, Roman art is an appendix to the art history of Greece. It originated little in painting, and was content to perpetuate the traditions of Greece in an imitative way. What was worse, it copied the degeneracy of Greece by following the degenerate Hellenistic paintings. In motive and method it was substantially the same work as that of the Greeks under the Diadochi. The subjects, again, were often taken from Greek story, though there were Roman historical scenes, genre pieces, and many portraits. In the beginning of the empire tablet or panel painting was rather abandoned in favor of mural decoration. That is to say, figures or groups were painted in fresco on the wall and then surrounded by geometrical, floral, or architectural designs to give the effect of a panel let into the wall. Thus painting assumed a more decorative nature. Vitruvi says in effect that in the early days nature was followed in these wall paintings, but later on they became ornate and overdone, showing many unsupported architectural facades and impossible decorative framings. This can be traced in the Roman and Pompeian frescoes. There were four kinds of these wall paintings. 1. Those that covered all the walls of a room and did away with dado, frieze, and the like, such as figures with large landscape backgrounds showing villas and trees. 2. Small paintings separated or framed by pilasters. 3. Panel pictures let into the wall or painted with that effect. 4. Single figures with architectural backgrounds. The single figures were usually the best. They had grace of line and motion and all the truth to nature that decoration required. Some of the backgrounds were flat tints of red or black against which the figure was placed. In the larger pieces the composition was rather rambling and disjointed, and the color harsh. In light and shade and relief they probably followed the Greek example. Roman painters, during the first five centuries Rome was between the influences of Etruria and Greece. The first paintings in Rome of which there is record were done in the Temple of Sears by the Greek artists of Lower Italy. Gorgasos and Donophilos fluid 493 BC. They were doubtless somewhat like the vase paintings profile work, without light, shade, or perspective. At the time and after Alexander Greek influence held sway, Fabius Pictor fluid about 300 BC is one of the celebrated names in historical painting, and later on Pecuvis, Metrodurus, and Serapion are mentioned. In the last century of the Republic, Sopolis, Dionysius, and Antiochus Gabinis excelled in portraiture. Ancient painting really ends for us with the destruction of Pompeii 79 AD though after that there were interesting portraits produced especially those found in the Fayum Egypt. Extant remains, the frescoes that are left to us today are largely the work of mechanical decorators rather than creative arty.